0: and this is from the platform episode 15 i'm naomi Reed.
1: and i'm tom peel
0: today we're talking about generative listening
1: yes so we are following on from the previous one we did levels of listening one to three and what were they Level one, downloading, listening from very much like a self-centered position. Level mm-hmm. two. Where well, you
0: kind of hear what you expect or want to hear.
1: Hear what you want yeah. to hear, yeah. Level two, factual listening, where you'll go out and you'll listen to facts, but you'll probably end up debating facts. Mm-hmm. So it's listening to it. Whereas level mm-hmm. one was listening to I. This is listening to it. And then level three is empathetic listening, which is listening to you. So it's actually putting yourself in someone else's shoes, listening from their perspective. It's a very different kind of listening. And then level four is generative listening. So the I in us or the I in we, the I in now, um, where you get a little bit kind of...
0: A bit weird.
1: It's a different Mm. kind of plane of thinking, really, because actually it involves very little talking or discussing in, in the traditional sense.
0: Which sounds very strange.
1: Sounds a bit sounds a bit hippie, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does sound a bit hippie.
1: But the hippie thing, I'll maybe tie that back in later because it kind of yeah. does wrap back around it a bit. Because mm. the... You
0: have to wear harem trousers to fully embrace the fourth level of listening. Yeah,
1: to get some yoga pants. Um, <laughs> <to get laughs> and a big earring
0: and a nose ring. Uh,
1: no. But like that whole 60s opening of the mind with drugs thing does kind of tie into this mm. although we don't advocate any yeah, of that we
0: must say that officially from the platform and its sponsors wcf
1: do not <laughs> promote
0: drug taking of any kind no <laughs> illegal drug taking of but any
1: kind. if you look into the science behind this you can see why the effects of things like lsd kind of mm-hmm. gave you a, uh, a huge version of this a kind of really? yeah a really exaggerated version of what this is yeah
0: mm. So we're looking then at generative listening, which is that fourth level of listening.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And it all gets quite abstract and a bit cerebral.
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, we let me just, just clarify. So it was listening from I, listening from it, which is the facts, listening from you, which is the empathy. And this is listening from like now, listening from a collective kind of, in a collective sense. So then maybe we can launch off of that Mm. notion and think okay what does it mean to listen from now and and i'd suggest we already do this in many ways in terms of when we're praying when we're having meditative reflection within sunday services Mm. it's a moment of holding the space to attend to something without necessarily anybody speaking Mm. or without having to go through any kind of logical dialectic or dialogue and understand anything through language, mm. but you're understanding something through being.
0: Yeah. So you're just letting your brain relax. But like you were saying, you often give a talk and then immediately after the talk is generally the breaking your bread bit where in the silence you then crystallise a lot of the thoughts that you've been thinking of and think, oh, actually, no, I should have said that. Or actually now, if I got a chance to stand up, I'd say a bit more about yeah, this, these ideas yeah, yeah, wouldn't yeah, come yeah. together. Yeah,
1: for me, I really need to build into my exhortations a moment in the middle of what I'm saying where I can... <laughs> Excuse
0: me, brethren and sisters. <laughs> ...pause.
1: Because like you say, yeah, I, I'm so focused on maybe reading what mm. I put down on the page or like elaborating on the points that I'm making that when that focus releases when I sit back down so many things flood in that are more eloquent or more succinct or kind of more joined up, more joined up. Like more joined up. Ideas, yeah. yeah. That I'm like, Oh, I should, have, <laughs> I should have said this. I should have said, I should have rounded it up in that way mm-hmm. or whatever. And it just floods in. And, um, so there's this, there's this moment of release of tension that allows, um, my right hemisphere to start kind of tying things together and this Mm. is where the hemispheres I mentioned in the last episode come into this.
0: Indeed so intro to the new thing that Tom's been reading about (laughs) 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 and how it links into the last thing. Uh, So who's the hero of the moment?
1: The hero at the moment is uh, Dr Ian McGilchrist, the -hmm. author of The Master and His Emissary, The Divided Brain and the Making of the Western Mm. World.
0: Cool. So, you sort of like you came across this, didn't you? Just some from various videos you were watching yeah, people about referencing stuff. it and, and saying how important it it's been.
1: There's also a really good RSA animated video, which is like seven minutes long, which kind of puts together the, the bulk of his ideas in an, mm. an, in an animated format, which is always I nice. I still found that so. a little bit tricky, yeah. But there was
0: an interview where he's speaking to the founder of Lush, yes. which appeals to me quite a lot, and that was a really nice conversation. So could you give a summary of what Ian Gilchrist says about the brain? So he talks about the left and right hemisphere, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So very briefly, what are the main points of Well, that?
1: before that, I just want to preface this with the fact that the right and left hemisphere myth is something that you'll come across if you Google it on on or, or you find it on YouTube. And there it was an idea in the 60s that like the brain was modular, there was part for language in the left hemisphere, there was part for vision in the right hemisphere... And it turns out that actually both hemispheres are used for language. Both hemispheres are used for vision, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it's not like one job is done by one hemisphere and another job is done by the other mm-hmm. hemisphere. It's not how it works.
0: So it kind of became an area of science that was almost laughed at, wasn't it? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, don't yeah. bring up that silly argument. Everyone knows that's not true. The brain kind of works all together and does similar yeah, things. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. However, what Ian Gilchrist puts across is something a bit more subtle than that. It's mm-hmm. not about what part of the brain does what. It's about how each part of the brain attends to each one of those things. Mm-hmm.
0: So he's kind of saying there are differences between the two sides, but in a much more interesting way, basically. It's almost, it comes on to like philosophy and outlooks and and approaches and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to things. Yeah, Yeah,
1: he says that each hemisphere attends to the world in a different way. Mm. So with language, for example, both hemispheres are used in language, but the left hemisphere attends to language in a very denotative mm-hmm. fashion like
0: in the way you'd learn to read yeah it remembers how how to read letters how to put phonemes together remembering vocabulary how yeah. grammar
1: definitions works. Mm-hmm. Um, however the right hemisphere will string a sentence together and it'll look between the lines at the meaning yeah.
0: so the right hemisphere is social skills and context whereas the left hemisphere is the actual words yeah, yeah. so speaking of the speech and language therapist really interestingly if someone has a stroke in their left hemisphere potentially it could wipe out all of their vocabulary however they Could actually still have a really good interaction because using the limited words that they do have, they've still got really good social skills Mm -hmm. and they could get Mm -hmm. stuff across and use their nonverbal skills. Whereas a person who has a stroke in their right side of their brain would have loads and loads of language, but almost a little bit similar to the way someone potentially would look if they were autistic, could say loads and loads and loads and loads of stuff, but actually isn't getting anything across. Doesn't
1: have a lot of meaning. Yeah,
0: here. yeah, I and mean, yeah. really, and that's kind of has a really fundamental effect on relationships and that kind of thing.
1: So it's got a lot of structure, but not no vehicle for meaning. Because a lot of your meaning and a lot of your implicit meaning comes from the right hemisphere. And also, again, with language, the right hemisphere is able to take a word the left hemisphere has learned and bend its meaning like it, it, poetry is processed preferentially by the right hemisphere and
0: metaphors
1: and metaphors yeah. and things where language that the banks of the meaning are, are broken and you can kind of apply different meanings to it
0: yeah so to me an easy way for me to get my head around it is that the right side of the brain is context; it puts everything into a big usable form. Whereas the left-hand side is the minutia and the rules and the kind of the direct memory of yeah, things. Yeah,
1: and the left hemisphere wants to atomize things; it wants to break down the sentence into words and their individual meanings. Whereas the right hemisphere wants to see the whole picture, and like you say, context mm. becomes really important.
0: So this is quite kind of. I personally find this really interesting but it's quite theoretical so how does this apply to the way we interact as humans and the way we think as humans Yes yeah. society works
1: so one specific example within nature where this happens is actually within um, the mind the brain of birds where literally like their individual eyes right eye left eye are used for different purposes. The right eye, which links to the left hemisphere, which is called being bilateral, like that. The right eye is used for picking up pieces of seed off the floor. It's used for really narrow focus. So it can differentiate a kernel of wheat from a piece of dirt or stone. And and it'll pick that thing up because it knows that's important nitpicking literally literally nitpicking if you're a monkey and you'll pick that little thing up and it's like great got it utilized my left hemisphere for getting what i need and when you expand that out to humans it's very similar it's not just our right eye mind you it's the whole left hemisphere is used for tool making for being denotative with language for really pinning things down and being specific And when you think about the bird's left eye to their right hemisphere, they use that to scan like their environment, their horizon. And looking out for
0: predators and seeing the context of what's going on.
1: Yeah, Yeah. looking out for danger, but also looking out for mates as well for companions um, for parts of their flock and and it's more broad-minded so it's looking for for all of those things it's not just like a specific it's not just predators or just mates it's left eye right hemisphere for all of that kind of broad range stuff that is in anticipating novelty and new things and so that extrapolates out into humans as the way in which we can be very creative we can find interlinking ideas and piece them together we can also like think about relationships and the way that words interrelate and stuff like that we can
0: understand jokes
1: we can understand jokes yeah like and jokes is a really good example because you have to have lots of assumed knowledge you have to have like inference um
0: social skills
1: those sorts of things. Yeah, context of is this the right time to tell a joke, to know that it's a joke. Those sorts of things. And they all like make you understand the joke. However, if you have to then atomize the joke because someone doesn't get it and break it down and spell it out for them, you lose the life of the joke. It's not funny anymore because it's been taken to pieces. Mm-hmm. This is true of learning music. You appreciate music with your right hemisphere. Say you hear something new, like, oh, that's a beautiful piece of music, and you really feel it. It's like an embodied experience from this beautiful piece of music. And then you're like, you know what? I really want to learn how to play that piece of music on the piano. And so you have to actually, your right hemisphere has to pass it over to the left hemisphere to break it down, note by note, to know which finger goes where, and then, like, learn it really meticulously and break it all down. However... If you do that and you break it all down and you learn it finger by finger, note by note, it's still not the piece of music until it all comes back together and it has to be reintegrated by the right hemisphere. Like there's no point just breaking it all down because that's just like pointless. Mm-hmm. You need to break it down in order to reintegrate it as a whole and and enjoy it and play it, maybe play it with other people and and relive the experience again. So music is a really good example of when you have to go from right hemisphere to left hemisphere to right hemisphere to learn something. So they, that, that that's kind of an overview of Ian McGilchrist's book. There's loads and loads more to it. And-, and
0: and kind of his general point that he's getting at is that the Western society has become too left, hasn't it? It's a little bit too short term thinking. Mm. And uh, so, for example, it's like in education, reading beautiful literature by breaking it down into... Oh, you know, this is pathetic And fallacy. then doing a test on this it. A, yeah, yeah, and then, like, memorise. So we have an A-level in English literature. You know, you might not enjoy literature at all, but you were just able to memorise a load of mm-hmm. things about it. And, about and it's also, like, stuff it.
1: like deforestation and things. It's, like, it's really short-term thinking exactly. for for a, uh, raising GDP. Yeah. But actually, it's like, we watched that David Attenborough thing on Netflix the other day where he we was saying there's, like, pension pots and banks investing in the future – with fossil fuels that's your job is to save for the future and yet you're investing in something that will deplete the future yeah so very short-term thinking
0: and i guess things like valuing uh profit over worker rights so sure the company made loads of money, but you've actually got a whole generation of miserable people who yeah. have to work in mines or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. And that's also not integrated. It's not like thinking about the whole picture, like the ecosystem of the company within its workforce or the, the whole thing as a, as a whole system. It's just... Cutting out one slice Mm. and making that profitable. So these
0: are examples then of two styles of working in our brain, interacting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually then extrapolates out into the world and the way that we shape our lives and our societies.
1: Because literally the way that we attend to the world is through our brains. And if we give preference to one way of thinking over the other, then that's the way our world Mm. will turn out.
0: If we get a bit too short term and formulaic about things.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. So if it, extrapolates out to society, does it also have a relevance to the way we run our church? Yeah, and I I think a really
1: good example of this is is how we use silence within the Sunday service. Mm -hmm. Often more formal meetings will have a period of silence to begin the meeting and follow through with a very structured formulaic approach to kind of Mm -hmm. coming to the emblems, whereas maybe other meetings will start with music as people walk in and draw people's attention to the emblems in a different way. Yeah.
0: Or people turn up later and later and you end up just having to start without any kind of silence at the beginning. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And that silence at the beginning, I think is a vehicle for some sort of right-brained activity to have some some, some room for some right-brained activity. Some, it's, it's attending to the moment without having to use any words, but just by being still. However, the meaning of that silence can just become part of the formula yeah. of the service. It's like, we just sit for, and it's literally five minutes, mm-hmm. Like and it's timed yeah, to yeah. 11 o'clock, hits there <laughs> you've got the stands up
0: looking waiting for the second yeah. to go around and, and no one's actually start. thinking
1: anything they're just looking at the clock waiting for the time to <laughs> click round now we start like yeah. this and uh, you've got a first thing. time
0: president sitting there with like beads of sweat going out his head <laughs> <laughs>
1: like in a, in a Hitchcock
0: film and the clock's getting bigger and bigger <laughs>
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But that's interesting, isn't it? Because actually, the sitting and meditating—that like silence at the beginning of breaking your bread, or the silence during the breaking your bread part mm, mm. The, of the memorial—is really is super right brain. It's really spiritual and meditative
1: yeah. thing yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah. happens. Yeah, and I think it, it has a history of coming from that space. And when used the properly,
0: intention for it. Yeah. And
1: when the intention for it is stated as well, mm. and where our attention is drawn to the. F- reason why we're doing it, Mm. that's when it works. But when it just happens, and it happens and happens every week on week on week on week, and we don't draw attention to why it's happening, that's when it becomes atomized Mm. and dead. And so I think within church services, the structure is important as long as it takes you to where you need to go in a meaningful and aware way. Yeah,
0: so self-awareness. Yeah. Which is really yeah, yeah, important, yeah.
1: yeah. And that's a tough job for the president to do that meaningfully because in some sense, you do need some novelty each time mm. to make it click with you that, that this is why we're doing something and not just another like, rote like, and now yeah, we yeah. will be quiet for five minutes. And like, if that's the, the introduction to it every time, then it becomes dead. Mm. So let me sidestep here into... Imagining a butterfly, you know, it's flapping around in, in its environment, mm-hmm. going from plant to plant, and you can like study that butterfly, and you can see it in its context, uh, you know, pollinating, reproducing, turning to a chrysalis and whatnot. However, if you catch that butterfly and you pin it down and you put it under a piece of glass, then you can study it in more finite detail, you can atomize it, and you can kind of, you could actually literally take it apart. Um, but you've killed it mm-hmm. at the same time. You don't see it within its context. You don't see it kind of doing Nature what it's supposed to do. Yeah,
0: yeah. So you were kind of talking about the fact that I think it's like your right brain takes in new things because your right brain is watching out for the whole and is like, oh, that's mm-hmm. a new thing. Mm-hmm. And then once it becomes a routine, it goes into your, it's processed it more by your, your left, left brain. Who's just yeah. sort, of, sort of like, oh, yeah, remember this. We do five minutes of silence mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. organ starts mm-hmm. and then blah, blah, blah. And then to actually then start to enjoy it again and use it for what it is, maybe we right brain process it. Mm -hmm. So is that a thing of, do we need maybe constant novelty? Would you call it that?
1: Uh, I think so. Um, And and not, you know, like, nothing ridiculous, like, you know, a silly hat. (laughs) (laughs) Mind, we do have some of those. (laughs) (laughs) But like, just a fresh way of approaching it and it brings you back to that butterfly is it are you watching something that's just pinned down and lifeless mm. or are you seeing it interact with the,
0: you see the context and the essence
1: of it and the thing that can't really be described mm. like if you say to someone we sit in silence at the start of our meetings it's hard to describe why mm. if, if you don't have the vocabulary or the way of explaining it it's just mm. something that you do and it's Because it's an embodied thing. Mm -hmm. It's something you do with your body. You sit with stillness and you attune to something that you're not using language for, Mm. as in like denotative language, you're using body language for. And that silence is generative listening. It's this process of holding a space to give attention to something without necessarily having to say anything and i believe the science behind it is to allow our right hemisphere to kind of feel something mm. and it's going to be it's going to be a feeling stuff. a crystallization mm. uh, a joining together of ideas aha moments mm. or right hemisphere it's going to be or it's going to be a visual depiction i hesitate to say a vision like in the biblical sense mm. but often like imagery is more right hemisphere heavy
0: Um, and in your course as well the otto sharma thing he he recommends like one of your things you've got to do is have an interaction with someone where you then sit in silence for a bit so at the most extreme level you could have a conversation where you then say to someone okay let's just sit in silence for a bit Mm -hmm. and crystallize our ideas allow the the language and the and the intensity of the left brain to subside and let the yeah. more cerebral side. I mean, it's a, it's, it
1: would be a really hard thing to suggest to do with someone you don't uh, yeah. know.
0: <laughs> well, or just for anyone just listening to this podcast to go and do afterwards. Yeah. He's not doing yeah, a yeah, course yeah. like you. Um, but that's the extreme version of it. Yeah.
1: yeah. And what I'm doing here is I'm tying together Otto Sharma's level of listening with what I'm getting from Ian McGillchrist's mm-hmm. right and left hemispheres. I'm seeing them overlapping in yeah. the sense that the first two levels of listening The eye and the it are very much left hemisphere atomizing,
0: Mm.
1: enclosed within themselves. And then the empathetic and generative listening are very right hemisphere interconnected ways of listening. Mm. So it's about, yeah, it's about making a connection with somebody. And that connection with somebody can come through an empathetic conversation with them. But it can also come from that kind of Job's three friends just sitting with Mm. them in silence being the one good really thing they did do. the one good thing they did
0: <laughs> yeah you were saying the other day you were presiding for um a zoom service that was particularly emotionally charged because someone had passed away and you did something that you really felt that was influenced by the stuff you'd been reading you felt that it really worked
1: yeah i felt the the nature of the service needed the kind of formulaic prompt start time silence voluntary hymns Mm.
0: Mm. and you address people in quite a formal way as well which i quite enjoyed (laughs) yeah
1: and and making sure all that was Mm. kind of done so
0: people just had a really comforting thing to lean on
1: yeah yeah yeah, Yeah. and you know it felt respectful but there was a moment where after the excitation after that reflective period of bread and wine we're all on zoom and there was about maybe 60 people on the call and I just invited people to turn on their cameras and scroll through everybody that was on the call just to look at the faces and, and see the people there that are obviously there to break bread, but also to remember the, the, the sister that had passed away. And left a moment for people just to kind of clock one another and, and a few people waved. and it, But it also felt nice because there was like this moments of, eye contact and and bodily like Mm. people leaning forward and smiles and all these things that really connect us that we don't normally have Mm. uh so it works so you
0: had your sort of theoretical head on as in like actually this would be a nice novel thing that would suddenly get people to attend in a different way yeah we can do something where we all do a similar thing where we all look at each other and Mm -hmm. connect socially And yeah, um, yeah, just doing it really consciously and it was really lovely and it really helped. Yeah.
1: Another example in a a more of a work setting of we were discussing how to create intimacy within Zoom calls and Mm -hmm. kind of more relational value. Um, it was like a workshop sort of thing. And was saying, well, actually, if I show you the space that I'm sat in, because you don't normally do that on Zoom, you normally mm. pick a pick the place behind your bookshelf or you put your filter on. With <laughs> or the you beach tidy everything
0: away in a five meter. Yeah, slot. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: and so everyone was like, you know, what? let's just show each other like the space that we're in and uh, the the humanness of our location. And so we all did that. And yeah, there were some people that had like clearly like it looked really tidy in that like <laughs> two meter space. But the rest of the room was an absolute dump, and they were all laughing about how this is like how they'd done it. And it was, but it was really like um, we then the, the rapport of that group of strangers because we didn't know each other before the call started. Like was, was suddenly enlivened because we'd um, we'd kind of ritualized this thing, and it was beautiful. It was really nice, and it was to do. It was nothing to do with words or describing things. It was about space and place and being.
0: And having something in common, yeah. relishing in those, like, oh, haha, I do that same thing of, oh, yeah, that person isn't perfect, the way yeah. their background yeah, makes yeah, them yeah, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So do you think generative listening is quite a useful thing in terms of, in our present 2020 world of Zoom services and things like a way to kind of help a bit of connection But yeah. no matter what you say, it can never kind of bring the same thing as being all together, especially or singing together in a group. Mm-hmm. That's very sort of cerebral, isn't it? That's a very spiritual experience yeah. that yeah. can't be described. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really
1: good example, actually, because we have uh, someone when they preside at Hansworth pre COVID, um, they would bring your attention to the words and make you like acknowledge the words more. because again, like, You've sang that song hundreds of times before and it dies because it's just a a linear progression of words Mm. to a tune. But when you attend to it differently,
0: Mm.
1: it means something different. And it's really about this attention to it.
0: And it's really interesting, isn't it, that in a church service you do loads of really very sort of spiritual, kind of like hippie-ish things, you? like singing all together in harmony, just because we've done it for hundreds and hundreds of years. When you think about it as a thing, it's a really strange thing that we all do <laughs> together. And, you know, we've really Victorianized it, bound it up into a little green book and, yeah. you know, literally yeah. had Victorian tunes that we sing, as much as I love them. Um, and we have moments of silence and meditation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you heard about that in any other context, that would seem really kind of, yeah, really strange mm-hmm. and surreal. People. Yeah.
1: So when the when the Praise of the Lord came in, there was obviously like some friction there. Because people wanted to go through every line of every hymn mm. in an atomized way and ensure that every word was fitting to a Christophian service. And even if it was, there was problems with the music not mm. fitting in some sort of atomized way because it was new and and novel and, and these sorts of things and, and wasn't able to be processed by the like the more traditional left hemisphere kind of processes. And there's a saying that Ian McGilkis mentions, which is that the, the left hemisphere doesn't know what it doesn't know. It's sticky in that it will it will, be, it will create itself a hall of mirrors, mm. which will only reflect back to it what it already knows. And it really needs the right hemisphere to bring life to it yeah. and again
0: and bring a wider context to coming
1: it. back to that picture of the garden of eden of the walled garden with the river flowing through it it's like it's got the stability and structure of the walls but it needs the river to bring life into it mm-hmm. you take away one and, and it floods you take away the other and it dies mm-hmm. is essentially kind of the, the premise in that which i think is really important so yeah other right hemisphere generative practices are things like meditation, which I think more and more people are kind of practicing through... It's becoming
0: more mainstream, isn't it? Yes,
1: through yoga and more Eastern tradition. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the Bible is an Eastern (laughs) thing as well. It has a lot of meditation in it. Um, But there's obviously the practice of meditation is to go through a, a process of focus and release, of bringing attention to the body and then like to the world around you and then back to your body and to the world around you. And that process of going between focus and a broader sense of the world. So from left to right and right to left is actually really useful and very constructive because in a similar way to anybody that goes in a sauna knows it's not about getting really, really hot and then going and getting really, really cold. It's about the transition between the two things. That's when you get like the experience of being in the sauna, it's like the the dramatic change. And I think that's the same with meditation and the same with moving from the right hemisphere to the left. It's kind of getting the juices moving a bit. Mm-hmm. And because the right and left hemisphere, they inhibit each other and they hold each other back. But to allow that flow of information between the two of them is really important and and meditation does that and i think that's something that we can we can practice as christians because i think prayer is a form of meditation i think prayer is the focused part of meditation and maybe we don't allow so much of the release Mm -hmm. of actually just attending i remember as a kid coming to the breaking of bread and thinking okay right i've got to now think through like the theory of the i've got to make this make sense Mm,
0: to me it's like a math problem
1: yeah (laughs) because i I want to have a feeling of some sort in this kind of sacred moment Mm -hmm. and to do that i felt like i had to i had to in that moment tie everything together logically through like an atomized step-by-step process okay so adam sinned Um, It got kicked out of the Garden of Eden and then, uh, right, so but Jesus comes and he's the second Adam and that me, like all this sort of stuff, I had to like process it. And now I realise more that this is a moment for letting go. You've heard all of the focused exhortational points and this is the point where you let go and allow things to connect together. This is like a moment of transcendence. I
0: guess for me in those moments when I allow my brain just to do whatever it wants to do, it often then goes to quite unconstructive things.
1: Well, like what you're going to eat next. Yeah, uh,
0: it's always what I'm going to eat next. <laughs> um, but then I guess that's a evidence for me to do more meditation and practice that mm-hmm. kind of being able to empty my mind and then focus, but in a loose way, onto mm-hmm.
1: things. I think it's about noticing that that's what you're doing and not judging it as well mm-hmm. is a part of the meditative practice. It's like saying, mm-hmm. oh, I, I've noticed that I, my, my mind mm-hmm. has wandered. Mm-hmm. And it's at the point that you notice that you can then bring it back
0: And maybe introducing some sort of, what was it called before?
1: Liberating structures. A
0: liberating structure, maybe for you. So I know someone who uses the drawing function on an iPad just to kind of draw pictures and flowcharts of the talk as they're listening, Mm. because it kind of just gives them a different way of thinking about it and a way of that kind of works for their brain. So would you say, though, that there might be a fear in a traditional uh, and maybe quite a conservative minded way of thinking about it is that's a bit scary because what if people you know allow their mind to wander and think about things and come to conclusions that aren't you know in the statement of faith you know do you know what I mean I you can understand why there are there can be fears when you're when you're part of a group which has fairly concrete in-out rules of what makes you part of the group and what pe- doesn't make you part of the group. Mm. The idea of that flexibility and that freedom to be able to think about things and reflect and get really cerebral is, could be a bit frightening, couldn't it?
1: Yeah. Like, what yeah. will
0: people think about? We need to control what people are thinking about and talking sure, about. Sure, sure.
1: Well, that's faith, isn't it? you got to have faith mm. in that process. Because this is a this is a process that is biblical, Um I, I see uh, lots of Bible stories going through this left and right hemisphere thing, specifically the story of Job, where it's very focused for like 38 chapters. Job is focused on his way in which God works, and his attention is like lasered on it. And he, what he's trying to do in that process is he's saying, this is what it is, you attend to this, that I can...
0: Like this is the logic of sin equals suffering, all that kind of thing.
1: That's what his friends yeah. are saying, yeah. And they they have their own laser precision kind of mm. focus on that, and they're saying to Job, "No, you attend to this." Mm-hmm. So they want they both want their to take the attention of the other person onto what their own narrow viewpoint of the mm. issue is at hand.
0: And then God throws in the universe.
1: <laughs> and then God, yeah, God just comes along <laughs> in a whirlwind, which they don't seem to notice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because they're so focused and it says to job come and have a walk with me look at all these things you cannot control mm-hmm. you can't control you, you know you don't Leviathan. know where this comes from you don't know where that comes from you, you, you don't know where you know you can't control when the goats give birth why are you trying to control what these people attend to yeah and then like takes it to Leviathan and says you can't control the pride of other people and and but I see like th- this guy kind of very focused dialogue debate it's an i it debate happening all the way through job and then god comes along and says no i now i'm going to bring you into nature nature is a perfect place to do generative listening in because you can see the interconnected nature of Mm. the creation and see your part in it and see yourself as like an interwoven part of a whole Mm. so god just takes job as a as like an on a tour around like in, in this kind of process of generative listening. Um, and, and and in the first instance, Job's like, This has got nothing to do with my problem. He's still mm. he's still so focused on his issue. But then the second time round, he's like, All right, yeah. Actually, my what he says, My my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. I have mm. I have a bigger picture in front of me now. And so I see the book of Job as a whole, like trying to pull some away from that left hemisphere focus
0: grab the seed
1: yeah into actually there's much more at at stake here there's much more to be to to comprehend Mm. and it's all far more interrelated than you think
0: so just bringing it back in terms of and helping us to have more positive interactions with people so i guess one thing you could do is try not to be too focused on having an answer or a conclusion or trying to bring things to an answer or a conclusion you can just kind of you know put ideas forth and listen to ideas and then have and reassure yourself with I don't need to come to a conclusion or a, an answer with this because now I'm going to go away and I'm going to allow and I'm going to it's the focus and release I'm going to do a release and just yeah. let my yeah, brain yeah, yeah, yeah. work yeah. on it for
1: a bit uh, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that's maybe got a bit heated and you've come away and going, oh that's what I should have said <laughs> yeah that's that's because you've had the release and you've had the clarity <laughs> but, of mind.
0: We're not saying the idea is to go away and think of your absolute slam down punch of alarm, <laughs> Mike dropped. then go moment. back and shout in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, just having more of a mindset of it doesn't need to come to a conclusion. Actually, I can go away and I can really meditate on this. Yeah,
1: and that's gonna be hard, right? Ooh. And so one of the things that I I can recommend as like a as a starting point here is do some just basic noticing. Like debrief yourself afterwards. Go away and notice how you feel. Mm-hmm. Like is there a, is there an embodied tension? And and actually, one of the things that you can practice doing is is being transparent about that within the conversation, and saying, as I'm talking to you, I notice that I'm feeling uncomfortable about this and owning it as as something that you're feeling not not necessarily you're something you feel
0: like this yeah yeah
1: that's well that's nonviolent communication um it's not that you make me feel like mm. this it's that i i'm feeling this because clearly a need i have isn't being met mm. and maybe it's that release silence debrief moment that that helps you to tune into your need in that situation so maybe next time you come to it, you can go actually in this conversation I have these needs that need to be met and I, I can invite you to kind of meet those as we have this conversation I mean that even that I was can't worrying, see yeah.
0: myself ever doing that but I could see myself having a conversation and not worrying trying not to worry about winning the conversation or coming Mm, even mm. coming to a conclusion and um and we do a lot of a a lot of work especially if you're training someone up we always say it's okay in your session when you're speaking to someone to say i'm gonna go away and i'll and i'm gonna think about this or i'm gonna go away and i'm gonna ask about this Mm -hmm, and mm. i'll get back to you Mm -hmm. and um yeah so yeah just lines like that's really interesting. I'm gonna to have to have a think about that. Or mm-hmm. wow, well, yeah, thank you for telling me about that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go away. And I'm gonna think about it. Or yeah, certainly allowing space. Time? Yeah,
1: yeah. And following up.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Is important. Um, and yeah, and not not thinking the whole thing has to be fought and won within that mm. moment.
0: And hopefully, we'll just encourage you to have a general style of conversation that isn't that debate because that Mm -hmm. style the only thing that it succeeds in doing is making people entrenched into their corner yeah yeah which is just really really unproductive would Mm -hmm. you also recommend that people do meditation
1: yes so i've never been into meditation however recently through this study of understanding the right and left hemisphere i understand its utility now as a process of focusing on the body and then releasing and focusing on, like, outside, focusing on the body. And I really liked Russell Brand's one that he does for... So
0: his guided meditation? His
1: guided meditation on a website called Insight Timer. Russell Brand is a really complex person. and He owns that, that, his complexity, and I really appreciate that. Mm. Um, And he has lots of excellent conversations with people... And comes to some very different conclusions to Christopherians about things, probably. Um, but I think he's a—he's—he's a—he's a good example of someone who who utilises a set of tools well in order to. Mm-hmm heighten his awareness
0: so you found it, you found russell brand's guide to meditation really good that's yeah, something you that appeal yeah, to yeah, me because yeah, yeah. i mean the last thing we really need to do is give people tools for meditation i mean meditation is so vogue at the moment isn't it there's billions of apps you know i'm sure everyone's workplace has different yeah, yeah. things in terms of their them uh, their well-being <laughs> yeah. protocols um but one thing that i really like is the mindfulness institute do meditation twice a day online it's just a little zoom link that you follow and it's at 10 o'clock in the morning and it's seven o'clock in the evening and it's a whole it's a half an hour which i was very surprised that i managed to sit with the entire half an hour but because you're doing it with real people mm. it really helped mm. me and it's someone who's obviously an absolute expert in in how to mm. guide you through something which i really enjoyed and there's if there's something out there for everyone
1: and if you're skeptical about the like the the tradition of meditation coming from you know a very different religion mm. i'd suggest so integrating it like make owning it making it something that works with you because this i think the science is there and it's a vehicle it's a structure that you can use and adapt and i certainly have used and adapt to become part of my prayer routine like mm. i use it to focus and you know release acknowledge where my body is sitting in the position i'm in and then getting into prayer
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's an inherently spiritual thing and inherently Christian thing. It's all the way through the Bible, the Mm -hmm. concept of prayer and meditation. And if you want something that's more spiritual, obviously, you can literally do it through prayer. But there's also Lectio Divina, which is that really nice way of meditating on a Bible passage with like five different... steps to it so but i mean the last thing we need to do is tell people about meditation there's so many resources out there so there's something for everyone Uh,
1: a really really basic starting point is like a grounding technique where you use all your senses to go through where you're sat this is good for if you have, have anxiety as well and say okay what are five things i can see four things i can hear three things i can feel two things i can smell and one thing i can taste and you do that process, and it's really good at like getting you into your body and your surrounding, and giving you like a like a foundation to kind of start on. So that's a really nice one as well. Um, also, by the time this has gone out, we will have prototyped some sort of live Zoom session with some volunteers that will be beginning to put together a template for some live sessions that I really want to um, invite people to that can help with this process and take some of the things that we've been talking about and, and apply them in the real world and in, in interactions with other people as well. So look out for some sort of event link that'll probably be on Facebook. Uh, we're feeling our way through what, what shape it's gonna take yet. So to finish with, I'd like to read a small bit of The Master and His Emissary, which talks about right and left hemispheres. And I think you can hear the two different extremes of maybe Christodurffian culture within this. So this is from the first part, What the Hemispheres Do. And he says, I think we can also make a connection here with a rather fundamental difference between the hemispheres. The left hemisphere's stickiness, its tendency to recur to what it is familiar with, tends to reinforce what it is already doing. There is a reflexivity to the process, as if trapped in a hall of mirrors. It only discovers more of what it already knows, and it only does more of what it already is doing. The right hemisphere, by contrast, seeing more of the picture and taking a broader perspective that characteristically includes both its own and the left hemispheres, is more reciprocally inclined and more likely to espouse another point of view. I think one of the things that this podcast does is a bit of that right hemisphere. It's trying to see the picture. Which What we're trying to do here is, through self-reflection, see also the bigger picture of what Christadelphia is in context and it's not a coincidence that Christadelphia comes out of a period that Ian McGill Christ puts down as a swing culturally into the left hemisphere
0: mm.
1: which we kind of intimated Rationalism. before. Rationalism. Heavily rationalized.
0: And away from spiritualism.
1: Yeah yeah so thank you very much for listening I hope your interest in this topic has been piqued and we'll leave it there. Uh, We'd like to thank once again, the WCF for supporting from the platform as a podcast.